Welcome to The Rate Debate, a lively discussion from the champions of Australian fixed income, featuring Darren Langer and Chris Rands from Nico Asset Management. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of The Rate Debate, and thanks for joining us. I'm Darren Langer, Senior Portfolio Manager at Nico Asset Management, and with me is my partner in crime and co-portfolio manager, Chris Rands. Hello, everyone. Throughout this series, Chris and I will be dissecting the RBA's monthly rate decision, calling out where we think they got it right and where they may have missed the mark. We'll also break down some of the bigger local and international macro issues and trends we see affecting markets. Hopefully we'll teach you a thing or two along the way um, about how fixed income works and why we love it so much. Chris and I have worked together now for eight years and we often approach things from a different perspective which can lead to interesting conversations and arguments. (laughs) My career began well before the global financial crisis, which significantly changed market dynamics, and Chris's began after the GFC. We try to look at what the data is telling us about markets rather than being too tied to orthodox thinking, and we hope you will find some of these musings and disagreements of interest too. Okay, so let's get going with what listeners are here for. Uh, The RBA left uh, rates on hold today at 0.75%, which came as no surprise to us as we expected them um, to have been leaving rates on hold now um, since uh, last year. There was still a few in the market calling for a Feb rate cut, um, which didn't eventuate. Um, What do you think they're seeing in the market that we're not? So at the moment... We probably are a little bit more positive, I guess, than other market observers on what's going on. Um, That's mostly because the domestic data to us is starting to look pretty good. So um, you're seeing improvements in housing, you're seeing improvements in employment, inflation, offshore starting to look a little bit better. But in the back of all this is the fact that the, the second half of 2018 was very weak for Australia. So a lot of those observers seem to be carrying the weakness that was last year into this year. And then posing over the top of that, the geopolitical risks that we're seeing in in the US and Iran situation in the coronavirus outbreak and saying the RBA really needs to give the economy another kick. Having just read the uh, the RBA statement today, they, they seem relatively positive. Um, they sort of downplayed the risks of the coronavirus and um, some of the trade um, war things that have been in the background. The way I read it, it looks as if they're on hold for the time being. Yet again, there still seems to be this underlying um, feeling in the market that they need to cut interest rates. Um, why would they actually want to cut interest rates here from now when they're trying when they actually seem to be achieving their objectives? I think the, the, the simplest explanation of, of why they would want to cut rates here is just they've missed their inflation target for so long. So it's been about four years since we've seen inflation in the 2 to 3% range, and given that's their target, they're, they're probably very anxious to get themselves back there. Part of the reason we're a little bit more positive on, on what's going on for the RBA here is that the inflation figures that we saw at least looked the most positive that we've seen in, in quite a while. So um, probably at its simplest example, if you look at headline inflation over the past 12 months, it was at 1.8%, which was up from its lows, but also very positively in there, if we look at the three-quarter uh, rolling average of inflation, the, the past three quarters have actually been the highest level of inflation that we've seen since mid-2014. So if there's any sign of uh, prices rising in the first quarter of this year, then the RBA should be back in their 2 to 3% target range, which will be the first time in a number of years. Looking at the data at the moment, you know, housing starting to rise, so that'll be good for inflation. Uh, the drought has been pushing uh, food prices up. And also, while the oil price has been falling at the moment, it was a little bit higher for a while. So, so there were these structural things that were saying inflation is probably going to be higher. 
So I think the market's looking backwards and saying inflation has been low and missing a little bit of the fact that it could be higher over the next six months. Inflation is definitely one of their targets, but you know, growth and employment are also um, you know, areas that they tend to target. The employment rate's been relatively stable um, over time. Growth is weak, but it's not ultra weak. Um, what do you think is the, uh, the catalyst for the RBA to finally say no more rate cuts? So the best way of probably looking at this is is maybe a, a, a quick educational reminder of, of what the RBA is trying to do. So so most people look at the RBA and say um, their target is to achieve 2 to 3% inflation. Um, that's correct. That's what they're trying to do. But actually the objectives of, of the central bank is three things. They're meant to be maintaining a stable currency. They're meant to be maintaining full employment. And they're also in charge of the economic prosperity of the economy. So it, it shouldn't just be inflation that we look at. We should also be looking at some of the other factors as well. So at the moment for employment, I, I think the the narrative of 2018 and 2019 um, was very different between the figures, but the actual outcomes were, were very similar. So if we look at uh, 2018 and 2019, um, in both years, we added about 260,000 jobs. Uh, in both years, unemployment averaged about 5%. Uh, employment to population was at 62.5%, which is basically all-time highs. So a number of the uh, economic indicators were actually showing a strong employment market rather than a soft one in 2019. And I think that what we what happened was that a little bit of the narrative of uh, this weak economy got pulled into the employment figures, which we haven't actually seen yet. Since we're talking about growth, um, we've had a couple of uh, things now with the bushfire crisis. Um, we've got the coronavirus um, playing out throughout the markets. How big an impact is that likely to have on growth in the near time, near term? And, and do we think that it, it's going to have any lasting impacts? Typically, when a, a natural disaster occurs, it has a short-term negative impact and then a potentially uh, muted longer-term impact and, and positive over the, the medium term. So uh, when you look at the bushfires, um, most estimates have it kind of in the 0.3% uh, reduction from GDP which is going to hurt for the RBA because it's coming at a time when GDP is already especially weak. But typically, if you look at these um, disasters, what will happen six months later is GDP will actually begin to pick up. So that happens because uh, as things are burnt down, as the natural disaster wipes out um, the houses, we've actually got to add investment back into the economy to, to start building that. So if you look back at the, the floods in 2011 or the fires in 2009, you saw a temporary dip in GDP and then a pickup a few months later. So my expectation would be that, you know, we, we do see some weak numbers come through the first half of this year, but then the second half of this year could be relatively strong. I actually had a hypothetical question for the RBA's thinking around the bushfires. Um, if we look in the Bureau of Meteor Meteorology's report from 2018, the state of the climate, they actually said that their forecasts for the weather are that we'll see a decrease in cool season when rainfalls across many regions of southern Australia with more time spent in drought and that there'll be an increase in the number of high fire weather damage days and a longer fire season for southern and eastern Australia. So if we take this assumption that um, the weather's getting hotter, um, we're probably going to spend more time in drought. Should the RBA even be responding to a natural disaster like this? It's a good question, Chris. Um and, and again, the truthful answer is I don't know. You could probably play it out a couple of different ways. One, it's not in the RBA's charter to, to deal with things like that. Although 
you would imagine that if we continue to have such um, large impacts on um, infrastructure and things like that, then you're going to end up um, creating instabilities in, in markets and, and in, in the economy and it's going to impact growth. One or two of these episodes may end up being slightly positive for growth over time, but, um, you know, it, it's it's really hard to... Um, to know whether you constantly, if this constantly happens year after year after year, um, whether somebody has to act. Um, it's probably not a government authority, but you know there may be some regulation within markets of people no longer wanting to lend. Um, you know we see a rise of ESG principles with investors. Um, you you may actually find some industries price themselves out of being able to to borrow money. Um, and, and things like that. So whilst I would doubt the RBA would be the first ones to, to take on that fight, um, it, it's quite possible. Um, certainly, you know, governments have been less willing to, to step in and, and do things about that. Um, but we're, we are seeing more and more activism from investors in particular um, on those particular matters. Yeah, so again, I, th- I think that the important point here is I don't have an answer either. Um, I, I, I do think, though, that if they end up overreacting to some of these disasters, that there's a potential here that they're going to be reacting in the future, um, which may set a bit of a precedent for themselves. Um, but it is hard as well because the past two years we've seen some of the wor- worst drought conditions across Australia, and if the forecast is for that to continue on, then then those locations probably need some help, which then does kind of lend itself to it being a fiscal policy to, to fixing some of these things rather than a monetary response. Yeah, I think the RBA's um, talk about that in the statement today sort of, I, I guess, pushes that idea forward. They say they're looking at it, but it's not an immediate concern. So it's not something they're going to react to. So they're not suddenly going to cut interest rates because we had a fire. But you got to wonder whether you, how that would then play out if next year you have the same problem and the year after. So I'd say it's a longer term, a longer term problem. Um, and how they react and respond will depend on that. Yeah, certainly the the RBA seem fairly um, comfortable with that that view at the moment. I, I just wonder whether the rest of the market's going to uh, allow them that amount of flexibility. Yeah, I mean the the market doesn't really want to give up on this idea of the rate cut. Um, if we look into the statement of the RBA today, um, there they actually said the central scenario for their. Uh, economic growth rate is around two and three quarters and 3% for this year. Um, and it would be a step up from the past two. Um, they also said that the outlook is being supported by low level of rates, tax cuts, uh, spending on infrastructure, an increase in the resource sector, and then a recovery in residential construction. So it's not just one sector that they're looking at. It's going to be a few that looks like it could be picking up this year. Most of what I've described is obviously very positive and, and a long way from the market. Maybe we can also look at some of the risks um, the geopolitical risk is hanging over the economy. We've got um, some political outcomes coming up in the US and what effect that could have on the economy over the longer term. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fairly amazing that two months ago we were all panicking about the trade war. Um, you know, the Chinese versus Donald Trump um, outcomes were were keeping the, the market um, relatively bubbling along, you know, basically going from uh, highs to lows and back again. Um, that seems to have magically uh, fixed itself up um, with with the announcement of the the level one trade deal. But 
it's very hard to see um, looking over the next six months with um, the re-election campaign and things like that, that the trade war is going to go away. It's a really good way of, um, you know, Trump gathering his forces um, and support within the, um, the local US um, election. Um, and it's uh, definitely a, 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 an area where the US foreign policy works in Trump's favour. So I would assume that's something that's likely to come up um, over the next few months. Uh, and although today the RBA just sort of really glossed over that, you would imagine that's something that is likely to um, take centre stage at one at some stage over the next six months. Yeah, it almost feels as if it's becoming the natural thing for us to to worry about and the longer that it hangs, the, the less you kind of think about it. Something that I've seen over the past two months was that the, the US government was quite often throwing headlines into the, the news to, to derail some of our positions, it felt like. At the moment, since the coronavirus has broken out, do you think that they've actually become quiet as there's a new risk on the horizon for them to worry about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the, the, the coronavirus is, is an unknown. It's not something anybody predicted. It's certainly not something we thought about. Um, and it's very hard to know how these things are going to play out. Um, you know, it, it's pretty much outside the control of you know, markets in general, and markets don't like that. Um, markets like situations where they feel like they have some control. Um, when you start talking viruses or natural disasters, those kinds of things, um, you know, very hard to predict. The outcomes often are transitory. Um, we don't tend to have them play out for years and years on end, but they focus markets really, um, really closely and, and they tend to look for the worst case outcome. And as that um, peels back, um, you know, markets come back to a more even footing. It's a very difficult thing to answer. Um, I, I, my gut feel is that we see this play out for the next month or um, next couple of weeks and then it eventually dies off um, as they get the virus under control. Um, it certainly doesn't appear to be um, as bad as um, what was initially thought and it certainly doesn't seem to be of the magnitude of the SARS virus um, back in the early 2000s. But None of us are experts on, on those particular matters and, um, you know, we, we wait and see with the rest of the market. Yeah, so the, the coronavirus is obviously a, a huge unknown hanging over the market at the moment and it's caused interest rates to, to rally basically to their all-time lows so that the Aussie 10 years is actually below 1% at the moment. While we, we, we can struggle to, to understand what it means at the future, I, I do have some stats on what we know at the moment. Um, so what we have at the moment is that um, the disease looks to be less lethal than SARS, but potentially more contagious. So there's about 20,000 cases. Of that, about 65% of those are in one Chinese province where Wuhan is located, which is Hubei. Interestingly, even though there's 65% of cases, they're actually 96% of the deaths that we've seen so far. So there's been 426 deaths and 414 of those are in that one province. Um so what it looks like to me at the moment is outside of that one province, it's not quite as lethal as we may have thought. Um, that's certainly been the case in the international space. Um, I think there's actually the potential here that we see far more cases um, reported in Wuhan to, to get that uh, average rate down a little bit. Um, but for the RBA, they're going to have to start thinking about um, what is this going to mean for Chinese GDP? Um, how aggressively do they think it's going to spread across the rest of the world? And how long is it going to last? 
Um, what we had been starting to see in the economic figures was that there was a bit of a global rebound starting to occur in trade. Um, interestingly, the RBA actually picked that up uh, in their statement today. And in the first statement, they actually said there have been signs that the slowdown in global growth that started in 2018 is coming to an end. So the RBA was probably picking up some of those positive signs, the fact that exports were rising, PMIs were rising, and now they've got this new uncertainty hanging over it because if China does slow, if it is bigger than it potentially looks, then we could see that global trade situation really start to slow down. Yeah, and when you couple that with the domestic scene where you're seeing um, house prices start to pick back up again, you're seeing improvements in building. Um, we're still not seeing any real improvements in wages, but but we're also seeing um, you know slightly better consumer confidence. Um, there's enough momentum there to suggest that you know our, our base position that we don't think the RBA moves from here um, is a reasonable perspective. Um, but you know, there's still plenty of people out there that are uh, talking e- even you know extreme measures like quantitative easing um, and, and things like that. But it's very very difficult to see how we can go from where we currently are um, to you know falling off a cliff in in three or four months time. Yeah, I think one kind of final comparison here for for what this would look like is that um, so far we've seen the RBA cut rates three times uh, over about nine months. Uh, If we compare this to 2014, um, basically commodity prices dropped pretty aggressively through that period. Iron ore was down about 50%. And in 2015, the RBA cut twice. And then in 2016, they followed up with another two cuts. So the market is currently forecasting um, two more cuts plus QE. And so we're basically saying that the environment that we're in at the moment looks far worse than when the mining boom ended. Um, I can kind of see some of the information that they're looking at to make that claim, but I don't think we're, we're quite at that point where I would be saying that that's my base case. That sort of leads us to the, the big question is, you know, where to from here? As you, as you stated, 2015, we saw cuts. Um, we saw a little pickup in growth. It petered out again. 2016, we saw cuts. Uh, we saw some growth. It petered out again. We're now in that same environment where we've, we've had a couple of cuts. We're seeing early tentative signs of growth. Are we just heading down the same route um, in, in 2021 that we've seen the last three times? And is there a way out? It is starting to, to feel a little bit of a... Of at the same repeating cycle over and over again. So if we go back to that 15, 16 example, so the thing that looked like pulled us out of that cycle was that housing prices starting to rise aggressively and we we entered a really strong construction cycle. And then as soon as house prices slowed in 2019, we, we found out that the RBA needed to cut rates again to give it another push along. Um, my feeling here is that the housing market's going to continue to run. We're going to see a pickup in consumption and construction on the back of that. And then... Um, once it starts to lose momentum in 21, they'll need to start thinking about what they do again. So it does feel like in the longer term that they're going to be cutting rates again. It's more so um, what could save us from that uh, over that period. Um, You know, the most likely answer to those types of things is a pickup in China. Potentially other Asian economies get stronger and really drag us with it. But, you know, with these types of risks coming with coronavirus and the the scares that you see across Asia, it's hard to really fathom that at the moment. I mean, it, it seems to me, though, that if they're going to cut interest rates again, all, all we're going to do is reignite this whole housing cycle. Um, we already have huge amounts of debt. Um, we've got housing largely unaffordable for a significant number of people in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, wouldn't that just be nuts to keep cutting interest rates? 
it probably really depends on your view of economic growth. So, um, you know, maybe this ends up being a little bit controversial, but our view for quite a while has been that economic growth will probably average about 2% in Australia. Uh, if you look at RBA forecasts over the past five to six years, they've constantly forecasted about three and a bit percent. Uh, if you remember back to the start of this podcast, you'll hear me saying they're forecasting two and three quarters to three percent. So they seem to be falling into the same old trap of expecting three. Um, if they do believe trend growth is three, then I think you continue cutting rates, trying to get us back to where we should be. If you land at this assumption that growth should be two, perhaps you take a little bit of a slower approach and let the economy find a natural level. But, you know, I'm not in charge of the RBA and I don't make those forecasts, so it's a bit hard for me to point that out. So considering um, all the things we just recently discussed, um, you know, we have, we've had bushfires, we've had the coronavirus, we've got markets in turmoil, but we seem to have a more sanguine RBA who seems relatively comfortable um, with the current state of the Australian economy and doesn't seem any um, need to act urgently. Um, it certainly makes the next month or so uh, an interesting, uh, interesting period of time. Um, and, um, you know, can you see, Chris, any sort of um, left-field events or anything else that may change that path? Um, I think in the very short term, the, the left-field events look to be um, pretty known, so the effect of the virus is obviously going to be the biggest one. If that knocks uh, the current strong data that we're seeing off course, then that'll probably change the RBA's course. Uh, at the moment, we're not really seeing... Uh, deterioration in the data most of what we've seen has actually been improving so I, I i don't think it'll occur in the next month but it could occur over the next quarter so those big geopolitical risks that obviously everyone already knows about will be the thing to watch and also keep an eye out on whether the data continues improving because if it does i think that'll bolster the rba's um, idea that we are indeed starting to see the economy pick up a little bit so so in terms of that data um you know, we've, we've seen some slightly weaker data come out of Europe just recently. Um, what are the areas of the world you think will be the warning signals that we should be looking at? Typically, you know, the, the, the biggest warning is always going to be coming out of China. Um, some of the data that I was referring to before was that we're actually starting to see their imports and exports rise, which is typically a great lead indicator for global trade. So if those Chinese trade statistics begin to fall, that would be a pretty bad sign for the global economy, I think. Um, the other one is the US economy. Uh, it had started slowing, but we're also seeing some of their manufacturing figures pick up. If that gets dented by what's going on in China, then I would probably get a little bit more negative off that as well. But in the face of what's occurred, even last night, we saw a little bit of improvement. So it is, it is something that we need to watch, but it's not something that has occurred yet. One thing that I just wanted to add on the coronavirus is just how lethal it's been and compare that to, to some of the other stats that we've seen across um, different viruses. And that is to really compare it to what we've seen in some US flu seasons. So uh, at the moment, it's obviously very sad that there's been over 400 deaths from this disease. But if we look at the flu season in the US in 2019, there was actually 15 million people caught the flu and there was about 8,000 deaths. And if we roll that back one year, there was actually almost 80,000 deaths in the US from the flu. So when we're looking at China with a bigger population and you know a far smaller percentage of people so far dying from this disease... We do need to keep in mind that if they are able to contain it at these sorts of levels, it probably won't be a large effect in terms of mortality. It'll be a bigger question around what does it mean for GDP if China has been shut for a few days. So I guess just to, to wrap things up, um, you know, our view is that rates are on hold um, in, the, in the meantime. Um, we're looking for signs 
in the world um, of where that may um, go astray. Um, obviously, there are certain factors out there that are that are worrying us and, and could turn um, a lot nastier or, or could improve dramatically, such as the, the outbreak in the coronavirus or worsening bushfires. Um, but, but in general, um, from what we saw a month or so ago, um, the world actually does look like a slightly better place, um, and that certainly came out in today's statement from the RBA. I imagine that some of our listeners have some questions about what we've spoken about today. Yeah, most definitely. Um, if anyone has any feedback or, or burning questions you'd like Chris and I to cover, um, you can email us at the rate debate at nicoam.com and um, we'll try and cover them in upcoming episodes. <laughs> So that's it from Chris and I this month. Uh, Tune in next month when we deliver our thoughts on the next RBA meeting um, and anything else that's making headlines in the market. This podcast was prepared by Nico AM Limited, ABN 9900337652, AFSL number 237563. It is of a general nature only and does not constitute personal advice or an offer of any financial product. It does not take into account the objectives financial situation or needs of any individual. Any references to particular securities or sectors are for illustrative purposes only and this is not a recommendation. Any economic or market forecasts are not guaranteed.